This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 30 of the Stable Scoop Show on the Horse Radio Network, Extreme Horsewomen. We would like to thank our sponsor, Atlantic Horse Carriers, for their support. For all of your horse's hauling needs, visit Atlantic Horse Carriers at AtlanticHorseCarriers.com. Welcome to the Stable School, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Hey, Helena. Hi, Glenn. How are you today? All right. It's been one of those weeks down here in Lexington. I don't know about you up there, but uh, it's just been one of those busy, crazy weeks. It's been a busy, crazy week here, too. You know, we've been tossed around a little bit with the weather in, in New England. It was 57 and 60 degrees the other day, and now it's 34 degrees, so we're all over the place. You know, it's funny because we talk about our crazy weeks, but in this episode, this episode's called Extreme Horsewomen, and in this episode we're doing today, we don't even have crazy weeks compared to the women we're going to be talking to today. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, one of the, uh, we came up with this idea for this episode, and we wanted to interview women that riding horses was the mild thing they did in life. And I think we found three three interviews today, three people that you're just going to want to hear from. And uh, we'll go over in a minute who they are and, and, and what their claims to fame are other than horses. And then we'll talk to them also a little bit about obviously their horse careers and things like that. But I, I just should be a fun episode because there's some, there's some really interesting women that do some interesting stuff out there. Yeah, you could say that. It was funny. I, uh, I had emailed the, the lady we interviewed, remember, from Equestrian Singles? Yes. And I had interviewed her that we were looking for extreme horse women, and I got about 25 responses. Their little network really works. <laughs> the word gets out, and you start getting emails back. And, and these are people I, I had never heard from before. Did they, uh, in their responses, did they tell you the type, types of extreme things? Yeah. Like, yeah, we like... had dog mushers. Uh, oh. Actually, I tried to get a hold of her. I have to get her name. She uh, She's one of the world leaders in dog mushing, and, and I think she's out mushing, which is why I couldn't get a hold of her. She's in a competition right now. Um, and then we had rock climbers. We had Arctic explorers. Um, somebody who had uh, climbed Mount Everest. I, it's just all these different people. Wow. I, I we was, need a whole week of, I know. of episodes <laughs> of Extreme Horsewomen. I know. I was very impressed. Uh, I was very impressed. So, so we, I'd love to know where they get the time, in addition to their horses, where they get the time to do these other things. And, you know, that's one of the questions I want to ask these, you know, the guests we have on today, you know, because they all have pretty serious uh, advocations. And, you know, how do you get the time to do the horse thing? 
Right. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. I think that's one of the questions that we definitely want to ask. I wanted to remind everybody to uh, sign up for our giveaway. We have a giveaway now on Stable Scoop, and we have those embroidered twill caps that have the really neat horse designs, 100% cotton, and they were donated by KBC Horse Supplies at kbchorsesupplies.com. And you can just go to our website at stablescoop.com. In the right-hand side, there's a little little link there, a banner that you can click on, and it's free to register. And we pick, we're going to pick three winners this month to win the caps from KBC Horse Supplies, and we appreciate them donating that. Uh, also, we wanted to mention, be sure to subscribe through iTunes or Zoom. You can do that right on our website. And we also have a Facebook uh, page now, or a Facebook group now for Stable Scoop. Just sign into your Facebook account and up in the right hand corner search for stable scoop and we pop up and please follow us on our group there we'll be making announcements about the shows and things and then also on twitter for those twitterers out there say that (laughs) fast three times uh for for the twitterers out there we're at horse radio twitter.com slash horse radio so we want to hear from you too send us an email drop us a voicemail we've been getting a lot more response now from people and all you do is go to stablescoop.com follow the contact link at the top and and get a hold of us we we appreciate uh we appreciate hearing from you and you know we like to know that people are listening too yes (laughs) otherwise it's just glenn and i yeah we're just sitting here blabbing every week (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny because we have been starting to get emails with with show ideas and we encourage you to do that too if you have something you want to hear about you know give us an idea we're always looking for new ideas and and uh we have one coming up in a couple of weeks that i just talked to a lady from italy yesterday so i'm very excited about that one and and if you're in the jumper world you're going to be excited about that as well Mm -hmm. so that's cool all right helena today Mm -hmm. we're going to have some fun talking to three different horse women extreme horse women it was funny. I mentioned that concept to somebody I was on the phone with today, and they said, aren't all horse women extreme? <laughs> so maybe it wasn't a good title. I that don't had know. to be a non-horse person. <laughs> no, it was actually we're a really horse not. woman. I mean, we're really not. We're <laughs> not I, you know, at some point, we'll have to do a whole show on the, I don't know, the psychology of riding because we're not, we're, yeah, we're not extreme. You can be if you want to be. You know this. But, yeah. Um, I, I definitely think that uh, Liz Halliday, one of our guests is, is extreme, but I don't think it's the horsey part of her life that's extreme. <laughs> All right. They, first up we're, today, we're going to have Cassandra DiMaggio. She is an endurance rider, which is a bit extreme in my opinion. Um, she's an endurance rider in California, northern California, up toward the mountains there. But she's also a California Highway Patrol officer. She's a CHP officer. Okay. So she, she deals with, obviously, life and death situations every day in her job. But then she's also an endurance rider, and she's also done some good work for charities and, and things like that out there. So we're looking forward to talking to her about how she balances being a policeman and being an, an endurance rider and also all the charity work that she does. So we're kind of it's going to be kind of fun to talk to her. And then we have Colonel Lorelei Wilson Copland. She is a colonel in the army. She actually lives in my old hometown in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. She teaches at the Army War College there in uh, Carlisle and and I'm looking forward to talking to her. She was an army uh helicopter pilot. Oh. And she was, was or a- it? She was. She's actually now, I think she's a uh, instructor, and, and she's a higher level. She's a colonel. She's up there. Okay. So, but apparently she was, she actually uh, was uh, in two of the Gulf Wars. So she was in uh, a 
she was a co- uh, command of an aviation company during Desert Storm in 1990, and she was in command of an 800-soldier aviation support battalion during two, in 2005 and 2006. That's so awesome. she's a serious uh, military woman, and you know, colonel is next thing to general. That's about as high as it gets. So you know, it's going to be fun to talk to her. And we found out after I booked this that my wife went to was in Pony Club with her. <laughs> Wow. They were in the same pony club. Yeah. Who wasn't your wife in pony club? I know, club? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny how life works out, but she moved around. She was only in this pony club for a short time, but Jennifer went, oh, I was in pony club with her. Well, how did you find out about Lorelei? I actually name? talked to the Pony Club and said, you know, were there any people that you know about that were Pony Club gla- graduates? And Lorelai, I think it's Lorelai. Okay. We'll have to we'll have to we'll ask, ask her. her. Yeah, but the, you know, they said, well, Lorelai is, you know, she she flew helicopters and has stories to tell, and she also spoke. She's the vice president, also vice president of instruction for the Pony Club. So, in addition to being a colonel in the military, she's vice president of instruction for the Pony Club nationally. Okay. So and and her kids are in Pony Club up there in. Uh, oh my God! She has kids too. I, yes. these, these so far, we're, I'm I'm totally inspired by these two women. Well, then we have Liz Halliday, and you know a lot of people know Liz's name, but some of our listeners won't who aren't involved in eventing. Liz is a serious eventer. She's she's competed all the way up to three star level, but she's also a Formula race car driver. She does the Le Mans stuff, those flat little cars, um, and she she's serious into this she she uh she is the i think she is the winningest driver in le mans history woman woman driver uh that's ever raced in that in that league there so i don't know a whole lot about race car driving or and i don't think you do either (laughs) so we're going to be good for this interview she'll tell us about it but you know that's a serious gig there Um, she's at the professional level and, you know, does, you, you've heard of the 24 hours of, of Le Mans? Yes. I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, she's raced in that and she, her goal, ultimate goal is to win that race. And her other goal on the horsey side for eventing is to be in the Olympics. So she's a serious woman too. How she has time to do all of that. I have no idea. And that'll be one of the questions we ask her, but we're thrilled to have her on from England today and, and to chat with her a little bit. She, no, she's uh, so she's British. Obviously. No, she's American actually born in California. Oh yeah. Okay. And, but she was, uh, she lives Silly in England me. now <laughs> and the Le Mans stuff is mostly done in Europe. Uh, that kind of race car driving. So uh, shows you how much I know about racing. Yeah, she. You know, I want to ask her too why she chose that particular thing and didn't go NASCAR stock car racing. You know, what, why, why, why was that choice made? And and it'd be interesting to too. I, for with her, I want to see which one she was into first. You know, did she start Cars. racing first or did she start, you know, uh, riding first? I don't know. But she's serious into both. And her website actually, her website's interesting. It's at lizhalliday.com actually talks about both so, you know it, it it's both her worlds right and it, it's kind of fun that way it will so. be interesting to see what it's like to um move at speeds with something that can think for itself and something that cannot exactly that i think that's like the ultimate whenever horse people talk about um the challenges of riding especially cross hunt country or especially at speeds a lot of people say what makes us unique as horse people is that we are riding something that can think for itself um, so I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to ask her that question. How is that different? 
we believe it's different, but how many of us actually drive? Yeah, probably that car has a mind of its own sometimes. Right. So I think she's going to have a fabulous um, – everybody take out your notepads because this woman is probably going to give us some quotes that we can take back that's, that's for correct. Our, our arguments with non-horse people. All right. Well, let's get started with our guests because we have so many of them today, and we're thrilled to have them on. Let's start with Cassandra. That She's our California Highway Patrol officer and an endurance rider, and she actually competes in endurance. So let's get her on and find out a little bit about how she can to be both of those. Hi, Cassandra. We appreciate you being on the Stable Scoop show with us today. Thank you. I feel lucky to be here. Well, good. Uh, you know, you have a story this sh- entire episode. We've been talking about extreme horsewomen. And the first thing I want to do is just thank you for the service that you provide. You're a, you're a, a, a California Highway Patrol officer. And, you know, that has a certain amount of risk and danger to it. And, and we do appreciate you being there and, and serving serving your community and, and the state of California. Thank you very much. So how did, were, you a, were you into the horse thing first as a kid? Is that where it started? Or when, when did you get into the horse thing? Well, I've, it started with the briar horse. <laughs> I was a little girl in Barbie. That's how it starts for many of them. <laughs> yes. Um, then I stayed with my aunt for a while in Oregon and got into the U.S. Pony Club. Oh, so you were a pony clubber too? I was. All three women on this episode have been pony club or pony clubbers. Isn't that amazing? Well, that that's a fantastic program. It's like college for girls who love horses. So. Huh. I learned a lot from that. and uh, Now, what did you ride? Did you do eventing, or what did you do when you were in Pony Club? I did hunter-jumper okay. with um, a Morgan thoroughbred cross and then went on to thoroughbreds as an adult when I got my first horse and really enjoyed always going out on the trail and finding any place I could gallop and run. So after probably... 10, 15 years of jumping and a little bit of training with um, dressage, I ended up getting into endurance riding, and I've never looked back since, and I absolutely love it. So was it an accident that you got into endurance riding? What, what caused you to go there? I was at boarding a horse stables in Carmel Valley, and they had a group of horses that one of their boarders Um, did endurance with and they were looking for well-balanced riders to take these horses to endurance rides and that's kind of how I got into it on other people's horses but it was very impossible to be competitive when you didn't know what kind of shape the horses were in or you know you really have to know the horse to be able to be halfway competitive at endurance riding. Well, that's like the ultimate partnership. You spend a lot of time with that horse. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's it's very difficult when you get to vet checks, if you don't know anything about that horse, to be able to tell if the horse is having an issue, um, what's normal for the horse, whether you need to slow down or if you can push on. So from there, I ended up getting my own endurance horses and with my own conditioning, was able to be much more competitive, and I absolutely love it. So now, you are you your competitive uh, endurance rider at this point? I am. And uh, you doing local competitions? Or are you at the national level, or what? Well, I just I competed in mostly build ups to compete in Tevis, which is 
right? The most popular, famous endurance yeah. ride in the United States. Yeah, in California um, too, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, did pretty well there. Oh, you actually did compete there? I did. Yeah. Um, That's like hills after dales and, and up and down and around, isn't it? It is. It's it's extremely tough terrain. Half the ride's on the side of a cliff. Uh, so you can't be afraid of heights. <laughs> and a good portion of it's done at night. So a lot of the time you can't see your hand in front of you. Um, and that's that's a wonderful ride. It's The first time I did it, I swore I would never ride it, it again. <laughs> I finished within a half hour <laughs> of the time restraints. And then um, I think I skipped a year, and then the next year I came in 10th. And wow. So I was liking the ride a lot better. And then the year after that, I came in second. Oh, wow. And, um, as my friend told me, I was the first loser, (laughs) (laughs) which is true. Yeah, but there's Uh, a lot of people that ride in that competition, so being the first loser is a pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah, I I kicked myself. I I was by three minutes, so, and it was, um, but it was a great ride, and I'm looking forward to having a horse that I can do that again. And at this point, I've moved on to FEI competition, which is international. Yep. Um, with my goals being um, to compete in the world equestrian games, hopefully, if I can. Get oh, so you're so you're hoping to come to my you're hoping to come to my hometown in 2010. I'm hoping. Do you have a horse? Give it. I have two. I'm working up to that. So. What do you have in your barn? Oh, um, well, I have four radians, two that are uh, passported FEI at this point. Um, one that I would like to get to that point, but he's not there yet. And then a two-year-old and one in the womb. So what's your, who is your prospect for 2010? Uh, Diamond Chip. And if I can get the uh, Gotcha's Dark Secret up to that level, that would be my backup horse. Wow. So I want to get, I want to have two just in case one something happens to the other, so... Well, I'll tell you what, we hope to see you here, that's for sure. I, uh, that would be exciting. Now, let me let this, this show is about extreme horsewomen. At what point did you decide you wanted to be a policeman? Uh, you know, I think being an endurance horseback rider, I've always been a thrill seeker. So um, it sounded like an exciting job to do, being outdoors. And How- I think when I was about 25, I decided I wanted to be a CHP officer. Okay, and then you went to the California uh, uh, Academy? Academy, yes. Yeah. In Sacramento for seven months. Um, It was really tough, but I was in the Air Force, and that prepared me for the Academy. Oh, so you were in Air Force before that? Yes. Oh, wow. So... So now you told me that you're a... Describe the kind of CHP officer you are. Well, I worked... Uh, regular road patrol in Monterey and then Hollister, Gilroy, San Jose area for about oh, seven years. And then I transferred up to Northern California as a resident post officer. And I've been here for six years. And it's really fantastic because I bring my patrol car home. So I work out of my house. And the area that I patrol is the area that I live in. Oh, okay. And... um 
Now, CHP, just to clarify for people who may not be entirely sure, is that like the state police in other states? Yes, it is. Okay, so you're a state police officer like it would be the Kentucky State Police or... Uh, Correct. Okay. They just call it the Highway Patrol there. And most people know the Highway Patrol, of course, from the old series, Chips. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes one and the same. You're okay, not on a motorcycle, though. <laughs> no, and I don't wear a tight uniform like they should. <laughs> no, you do that when you're endurance riding. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I wear my tights and... Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what do you, we ask this of, of everybody we've talked to for this show, what do you consider the most dangerous? Do you consider riding the most dangerous? And I meant dangerous to your body here, uh, or, or being a policeman. It's tough to say because, you know, with my job, you know, where you're stopping people, you're stopping cars, you don't know who the driver is. You don't right. know if they've just committed a crime or, you know, what's on their mind. I mean, they may think, you know, they've got warrants, which you don't, but, um, so I could pull somebody over a thousand times and nothing happened, but that one time, you know, could be fatal. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't think of it that way. So I, you know, doing this job for 13 years, you know, it, it doesn't, to me, it would seem more dangerous riding horses, Right. but in actuality, it's, it's probably more dangerous what I do. I do wear a vest, you know, I don't have to wear a, a bulletproof vest when I ride. Um, so no one's, you know, going to shoot me out there on the horse, but. But you do wear a vest when you ride. Just not yeah, a bullet, not a bulletproof one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually I don't, but I do wear a helmet now. And I didn't oh, used to wear a helmet, but now I do. So. Well, that's good. Um, you know, it just, it depends. I mean, one is. I mean, both could kill you, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, I guess I don't look at it that way. I love doing both, and I enjoy both, so. Well, you do something else, too, that's, uh, that you told me about that uh, that I just think is absolutely great. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Patriot's Day Ride and how that came about and what it is. Well, the purpose of a resident post officer is not only enforcement, but you, you need to become a part of the community, and that you know, means showing up to public events, helping out where you can, um, volunteering, and not just being an enforcement role in the community. And so I really dived in and um, became, you know, a member of the community and was approached by the Rotary Club of Greenville. They asked if I could help them put on a big fundraiser, something that they could earn a lot of money, and the money goes back into the community, mostly for kid events and to help fund the library and so I agreed because they don't. None of the Rotarians knew anything about horses. Right. They were aware of my love of horses and endurance riding. So I helped them start an endurance ride, which is called the Patriots Day Ride, and we started it the first year on 9/11 in honor of the troops. And a portion of the proceeds we would donate towards some type of uh, veterans fund. And currently. We donate money every year that part of the money that we raise to the veterans um, guest house in Reno. So, and that could be young veterans, old veterans that need medical help at the hospital there. Their family members can stay with them. Oh, wow. And, you know, and it goes by what they can afford. If they can't afford anything at all, they stay there for free. So it's sort of like the Ronald McDonald house only for veterans here. Exactly. Um, We've done it for five years now. And this year we're going to be 
were lucky enough to be able to host the American Endurance Riders Conference National Championships. Oh, really? ERC Championship Ride for the United States. At your event? At our event. So I'm really excited about that. And um, Well, congratulations. Yeah, it's really it's really a great honor. And, uh, so. there's, a, there's several amazing things here. The first amazing thing is that you got a bunch of Rotarians who know nothing about a horse to put on a horse event. Yes, uh, and they're they great <laughs> volunteers. <laughs> and that they, well, you know, it, it, fortunately, endurance, it, it's easier to volunteer than, let's say, cross country on the cross country course and things like that. But, but sure. I, I mean, that was the first thing. And then, and then that you've been able to get it to the point where after five years, it becomes a national championship <laughs> ride. That's just yes. amazing. Now, will you be able to ride in it or are you too busy helping organize the event? Uh, well, at this point, I'm going to be helping organize the event. That's where I'm needed most. So that's Well, sure. Yeah, the Rotarians, have, you know, they need somebody that knows what they're doing there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I've got a great, you know, the ride secretary, who's also a Rotarian, uh, Centella Tucker, She's she helps me. I mean, I couldn't do it without her. So uh, she's the most involved besides myself. Well, that's great, and congratulations, and, and actually they can find more information out about that at PatriotsDayRide.com. Well, I'll tell you what, I've, I'm glad that we had you on, and again, I thank you for your service, both military and CHP, and con- uh, good luck in getting to, c- getting to Kentucky. We hope to see you here. We'll be covering it, of course, so, uh, so you have to promise to do an interview when you win at Kentucky, all right? <laughs> promise i will all right good good i'll tell you what why don't we take a look at doing a stable scoop show uh closer to the national championship ride all about endurance and we'll have you back on before the ride that's great i'll send you lots of pictures all right good well thank you cassandra hold on here and we'll we'll, i want to talk to you for one minute well that was awesome yeah she's she's a cool lady very interesting. I, I, I don't know that I would want that job. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Me either. Uh, all right. Well, um, I wanted to, before we move on to our next guest, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor for today's episode of Stable Scoop. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Atlantic Horse Carriers. Atlantic Horse Carriers specializes in the transportation of horses all over the United States. They do make many runs between Maine and Florida, but are happy to help you with your specific transportation needs. As a fully insured and licensed carrier, Victor and Maureen Brescia offer outstanding horse care while in transit. With over 30 years bringing horses safely to their destinations, it's no wonder this professional couple is so highly regarded in the industry. With years of experience and a commitment to the best care possible, all types of horses are welcome on an Atlantic Horse Carrier's trailer. So whether you own one horse or several, we definitely suggest you contact Atlantic Horse Carriers for your horse's next trip. You can visit them on the web at www.AtlanticHorseCarriers.com or give them a call at area code 207-293-4948. Great. Well, we appreciate Atlantic Horse Carriers for being part of the show. And speaking of transportation, that leads us smoothly into our next guest, who is an Army helicopter pilot for many, many years, Colonel Lorelei Wilson-Coplin. And we're thrilled to have her on. She's also an active in the Pony Club to this day. She was an A graduate in Pony Club, so she went through the whole thing. And actually, uh, I think she graduated from the West Point Pony Club of New York. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's and gonna... and U.S. Military Academy at West Point, which is no easy task. Right. Exactly. So this is a, <laughs> a very interesting woman. I'm I'm glad we we she took the time. It was interesting to get this appointment too because I actually had we had to get permission from from her higher ups or from the military. Uh, I don't know what PR branch or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. They actually have to give approval. For, for this. So uh, we're glad that she was able to get approval to come on and chat with us a little bit about flying helicopters and riding horses. Hi, Lorelai. We appreciate you being on the show with us uh, today. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you've had quite a history as well. This uh, episode is about extreme horse women. And, uh, you know, I think, I think probably what you've done in the past qualifies as extreme. But let's start way, way back. You were actually a horse person before you ever thought about going into the military, correct? That is definitely true. Um, I was fortunate enough as I was growing up. My father was in the military, so I was fortunate enough to have the exposure of some of those old ancient cavalry officers um, hanging around the barns that uh, I was at when I was growing up. So uh, I I was dealing with horses for a long time, long before women were considered um, going into the military. And uh, But when I got the opportunity, it seemed like a natural fit. Well, you know, you actually did a stint in, uh, what, what, was it your father that was in the Army, right? My father was in the Army. My grandfather was in the Air Force, so I went Army Aviation. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> you made them both happy. Um, yes, but, I did. So while you were a kid, though, you you did a stint actually in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and w- was your was your father at the Army War College at that point? Well, we actually did not live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, okay. but that's where we pony clubbed because that was our nearest pony club. Ah. Actually, my father at the time was a professor of military science up at Bucknell University. So we drove the two plus hours. Oh my goodness! Uh, every week to get down to <laughs> pony club. Wow! And uh, and of course to do all of our pony clubbing with friends, and and pony club for me as a army brat was my stability because I could go from club to club to club as we moved around, including overseas, quite frankly, and show up and say, "Hey, I'm a D two. Hey, I'm a D three. Hey, I'm a C one." whatever, and uh, immediately people knew exactly where I belonged, what group I should be hanging out with, what horses I could ride, and uh, so forth. And it was, it was like immediate entree, and the Pony Club family was always very accepting. Well, you know, and that that had to be that. Yeah. I mean, and that's great because I don't know any other way you would do that with the diverse things you find around the world and all the places that you lived. Uh, I actually got a chance to uh, pony club in uh, Rabat, Morocco. Oh, wow. Who would have thought? (laughs) Who who would have thought? Yeah, there was a little club there and um, and we called it a pony club. Now, whether it was formally affiliated with anybody, who knows? uh, (laughs) It was a bunch of uh, embassy kids. Well, now, did you have a specific discipline you were doing at that point through the pony club? No, no, I was pretty much uh, omnivorous. Uh, Obviously, the uh, traditional uh, relationship with fox hunting because, um, as I was said in the beginning, I was kind of on the cusp there of, you know, the old military traditions going out with horses and the new military coming in um, that didn't have a horse background per se. So there was a lot of fox hunts uh, at the military bases that uh, when I was growing up. So I did a lot of fox hunting, and then it was a natural slide to go into eventing. 
dressage at the time was the thing you did so that you could get to the cross-country course. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, then, and then only as I uh, finally got to the point where I could do the fun the fun stuff did, uh, did I dis- decide to embrace dressage, and that's really what I do mostly right now. And then my kids think show jumping is pretty keen. And they're in the Pony Club now? They are. Yeah. And as, as, as uh, we were discussing earlier, uh, one of the interesting things is that they are now in a pony club that I was in when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> so now you you actually were an A graduate, right? You went the whole way. I did. Um, I went up to and, and I got my A while I was a cadet at the military academy. Well, that's the other. That's the next thing. So what? It, it, was it because of your father that you decided to join the army? Um, I guess the easy answer would be to say yes. Although there was probably not too many people more surprised than my dad when I did join the Army. Um, mostly, I think it's a generational thing. He did not expect me to be interested. And despite the fact that I was very horsey, I was also pretty much a girly girl uh, growing up. Um, so he was kind of surprised that that's where I went. But between he and my grandfather, I just believe that uh, service to service to country was a great calling. And uh, and the idea of going to West Point, which was still so novel at the time, frankly kind of appealed to my independent spirit. And so um, there I went. And then everybody kept telling me I couldn't do it. So that was enough that I, you know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't jump that big fence, you know. Well, okay, watch me. Here I go. Um, and so that was enough to convince me that I had to go. Well, I, I do want to say, uh, before we go too much further, that we appreciate your service and everything you've done for the country at this point. Right now, you you started at West Point, but now you're a, you're a full colonel, right? Yes, I am. I teach at the I'm on the faculty at the United States Army War College, which I just graduated from last year. Um, I ended up staying here at the War College because I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow! So fighting fighting another battle. Yes, um, but I very aggressively went after it, and, uh, you know, bilateral mastectomy later, and uh, my awards now hang very straight on my uh, uniform. <laughs> well, we wish you the best with that as well. You were a helicopter pilot, correct? Um, yeah, and, and pilots like to say that we are helicopter pilots. Oh, right, okay, yes, I guess that never goes away. <laughs> even if, uh, even if it, I, it's been a while since I've actually sat behind the controls. But uh, I started um, in the UH-1 Huey, um, commanded a company in Desert Storm, um, with the irony then being that we had Hueys in our units that were older than some of the mechanics that were working on them. (laughs) Now, what did that particular helicopter do? What was your job? Um, The UH-1 Huey is um, a lift helicopter. It it moves supplies and it moves people. Um, It does air assaults um, to move soldiers into the battlefield and the like. When I came back from Desert Storm, I went to a graduate school and taught at West Point for a while. Then after I went to the Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth, I uh, picked up the Black Hawk and started flying the Black Hawk. And that's what I flew for the next few years until I um, went to the Pentagon for, for an assignment and then back to Fort Campbell where I commanded a battalion and then went to Iraq and then here to Carlisle. So now, when you were a helicopter pilot, as a female, were you allowed in combat situations at that point? Um, yes. Okay. And and that it's a somewhat of a, a myth to say that women are not allowed in combat, because certainly you can look at the news every night right. 
and see how many women are in combat. Um, when I began flying, um, I was only allowed to fly what are considered the utility or the lift helicopters. Um, the joke we had was that we could get shot at, but we weren't allowed to shoot back. Um, as I was uh, halfway through my career so far, they opened up the Apache helicopter, which is a attack helicopter, to women pilots, and we have many women serving in those airframes now. Today. Wow. So we're always trying to compare in this episode the the horse world and your horse world and your your the other extreme thing that you do and I think f- flying an Apache helicopter is probably pretty extreme. Well, I would I always make the comparison that doing an air assault at night, um, flying into a hot uh, LZ landing zone, um, not being able to really clearly see who's on your left and who's on your right, but trusting that they know what they're doing is a lot like converging on the single panel in the hunt field. <laughs> you, know, you come in really fast and you come in really hard and you just kind of like follow your peripheral vision, keeping track of everybody else, and you just know where you're going to land. And you hope everybody's going to be paying attention to where they're supposed to be, and it's just like riding in the hunt field. <laughs> so I imagine you have some stories to tell when it comes to uh, flying uh flying it it, it over there and and, uh, everywhere for that matter because you know it's funny because we always talk about horses having a mind of their own so that makes helicopters have a mind of their own I was just going to say that (laughs) well you know and you'd think that they're an inanimate object so you put in the controls and therefore it's just going to happen but what you have to remember is that they're buffeted by forces that are called wind temperature um, you know, the thermodynamics, you know, all Sand in the case of Iraq. Oh, uh, definitely yeah. in the case of Iraq. But, but all of those other environmental factors impact that machine called the helicopter. So really, it's like riding an unpredictable mare. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> You're flying along, and you think you got everything nice and smooth, and suddenly some thermal comes up and buffets you, and if you weren't awake, you're going to get kicked around. I, I bet. Not to mention getting shot at and all that other stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- those little things. So were you ever in a situation where where you had a uh, chopper go down with that you were you were piloting? Um, we've had situations. I've been in situations where um, the helicopter had to make um, an emergency landing, uh-huh. um, but certainly not anything. Uh, in in most, well, in every case, in my case. Um, it was due to a mechanical failure of some of some nature, not due to any enemy action. Right. Okay. Well, you know that's just as dangerous. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, yes, yeah, I think so. Um, and they can be pretty exciting in and of themselves. So, which was the bigger adrenaline rush, the flying or or uh, or, or going cross country or following the hounds? Well, I would have to say that um, they're pretty much the same, and it's probably because I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, that the fact that I'm, I'm not riding to the hounds uh, now, nor am I flying, is probably why I drive too fast. <laughs> now, you have to, now you have to watch your kids do it. Well, my daughter's starting to drive now, and uh, we're, we're running down the road, and, I happen, and she says that I'm very chill, you know, to, to be learning with. And she doesn't understand that I've flown with many worse pilots yes, than true. she is a driver. <laughs> so I, I can be very chill. 
Um, so I was reading a book as she's driving down the road, and I look over, and we're on the highway, and she's going 80 miles an hour. And I said, uh, honey, you need to not lose your license before you get your license. And uh, and she just looked at me, and she goes, I'm my mother's daughter. <laughs> Well, we should. <laughs> we should also mention uh, that you're the vice president of instruction for the Pony Club. What exactly does that mean? Um, well, I've been doing it for about a year, and I sometimes feel like I'm making it up as I go along. But uh, essentially, what it is is uh, I am responsible for the instruction council, which includes the committees that um, are the not-activities committees, uh, the horse management committee, the uh, national testing program committee. Um, we have the National Youth Congress. Um, we have horse masters. We have the visiting instructor uh, program, uh, the regional instructor committee. Um, all of the committees that have something to do with teaching our kids in the United States Pony Club are the committees that I'm responsible for. Well, that's great. And I know that you were a keynote speaker at the annual meeting last year. I and, was. And uh, I, I think that... In Boston, actually, two, almost two, two annual meetings ago. Yes. Yep. In 2008. Well, I'll tell you what, we want to thank you again. Is retirement right around the corner here or are you hanging in for uh, a while? It depends on what the economy does. As far as the as far as far military? No, as far as whether I can get out or not. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I certainly have, uh, in another year, I will have uh, served all of the time that I'm obligated for um, my schooling that I right. just completed with the military, my uh, colonel schooling. But uh, I, I very much like what I do. Um, it, it still is a noble calling, just as I thought when um, I first joined. Well, we appreciate, again, we appreciate you being there. Your husband, I know, was a retired lieutenant colonel, right? Yes, he was. So we have two, we have two, you outrank him. (laughs) Does that come up around the house or? uh... (laughs) Well, my my husband works uh, hard as a consultant right now, but my daughters did look at me once uh, several years ago and said, which one of us has to go in the Army? <laughs> because they figured out very quickly that, at least in my side of the family, there's been somebody in every generation. So um, I assured them that they didn't have to. But but then I look at my uh, college savings for my girls, and I go, well, how many of you want to go to the academy? That's right. <laughs> we can get you in very easily. Well, <laughs> All right, Lorelai. Well, we appreciate you joining us today, and uh, we appreciate your service. And uh, I, I, some, some Someday when we have a little time and can sit down, I'd, I'd love to hear some more stories. And But I, I think you do qualify as an extreme, uh, extreme horsewoman. You're on the right episode. And we All thank right, you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Well, Helena, there are some cool people in the horse world. Yeah. Can't be any more thrilling than our next guest, which is Liz Halliday. Uh, you know, she's certainly a woman who likes speed and danger. And she's taken horsepower to a whole new level. Um, she's involved in two of the most dangerous sports there is. On the horse's side, she is an inventor who has competed at three-star level and hopes to go to the Olympics one day. And on the professional race car driver's side, she has an amazing story. She's had a rapid and impressive ascent up the motor racing ladder. In just two full seasons in international racing, Liz became the most successful female driver ever in the history of American Le Mans series. And she's America's most prestigious uh, sports car r- 
driver, a uh, female driver. And with win, many wins to her credit, she's arguably become, again, one, one of the most successful female drivers in racing history. So we're glad to have Liz on with us today. Welcome, Liz. I'm so glad that you have the chance to, uh, or we have the chance to have you on with us. First, let me say that Glenn and I are way out of our league speaking about racing, and I'm guessing that a fair amount of our listeners are too. So can you give us um, a little background on the kind of racing you do and um, how that, you know, where you do it and and what kinds of cars and and all that? Yeah, sure. Um, The type of racing I do is sports car racing. So um, primarily that encompasses four different classes of racing on the track at one time. So it's really exciting. There's loads of passing, great for the spectators. Um, I've actually raced now in all four different classes at different points in my life. Um, Two of the classes are GT cars, like your Porsches and Ferraris and that sort of thing. And the other two classes are purpose-built race cars, so sort of open cockpit, much faster with a big wing on the back sort of thing. Um, Yeah, and I've raced in the American Le Mans series, which goes all over America. And um, I've also raced in the famous Le Mans 24-hour race in France, which is basically what most endurance racing is, is based off of. And How this far is... do you go? What, you're, what, what makes endurance long? What, you know, is it... um, well, obviously, the, the Le Mans 24 hours is 24 hours of racing. <laughs> not yeah. Yeah. So, that, so that duration is time, not necessarily mileage? Um, yeah, actually, it depends on the race. Most most of the races that uh, that are done that are long are sort of based on a time, but some of them are either say either like 10 hours or a thousand kilometers whichever you make first i mean a thousand miles whichever you get to first that sort of thing um but yeah we do sort of 10 hour races we do a 12 hour race at sebring um bunch of different 24 hour races you know all around the world so um it's very challenging and you know it's a different level for for racing drivers you know as far as fitness goes and and being able to sort of keep your mind strong when you're getting tired so it it is a challenge that, that i enjoy in racing well, let's back up a little bit. Let's start at the beginning. Which came first for you, racing or horses? Uh, horses came first. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, yeah. And my, my parents don't ride. It was just sort of, you know, something I always wanted to do. I always loved horses and begged and begged and begged until Mom let me start taking lessons. <laughs> and you were in California then, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I grew up in California. I spent the first 21 years of my life there, really. And, and so you did the horse. What, what, what kind of horse thing were you doing back then? Were you doing eventing back then as well? Um, I started out with Western, actually, just for a little while, and decided that wasn't going to be good enough because I couldn't go over a jump. So I um, quickly <laughs> moved into, uh, into English riding and um, did a bit of hunter-jumper to start with when I was younger. And then I got involved in Pony Club, and that's sort of where my love for eventing started. And, um, you know, as soon as I did cross-country once, I was sold. I was thinking, that's it. This is what I need to do. <laughs> but, um, but really, I was competing at quite a low level in America before I moved to England. All right, so you were in eventing at the lower levels uh, when you were in California. Did you go to England then, or did you, you did you, when you were 21, did you end up going to England at that point? I did, yeah. I, um, I moved over in January of 2000, and um, mainly my goal was to take a year away just sort of to learn more about eventing at a high level. I went to be a working pupil for William Fox Pitt, who has um, you know, been world number one many times, obviously, and yep, on the Olympic yep. team multiple times. Um, and I really wanted to just work and, and learn more about what it takes to event at a high level because it's quite difficult to, to you know, really push yourself in eventing in California. Um, and that year sort of merged itself into nine years, <laughs> and here we are now, really. So, um, but yeah, so it really was horses that brought you over to Europe. 
Yeah, it was horses that did, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what did you see, a race car drive by one day, and you said, oh, i got to do that too? Or My dad was a racing driver. Oh, so, okay. Um, yeah, and he was an instructor for 20 years as well. Um, he was an amazing driver, so my dad taught me to drive, and, and I actually shared a car with him originally. And um, he'd done a bit of racing in, in England, and um, sort of after I'd been here for a year, he sort of said, hey, well, you know, if, you know, we could help you pick up the racing thing again, and it sort of escalated from there, really. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's in your blood. It, it's, yeah, this is, absolutely. This is a very absolutely. natural evolution for you. Okay. Now, was, yeah, he, a, was yeah. he a sports car driver as well? Uh, yeah, well, he did a, a lot of historic cars, really. That was sort of his main thing, but um, his, his dream was always, you know, the Le Mans 24 hours, and, and he used to go and watch Sebring every year, and it was sort of what he always loved was the, was the endurance racing. So it was a very natural progression for me because that's sort of where they, they always wanted me to be anyway, if that makes sense. What's it like to race for 24 hours? Uh, very tiring. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, at, at Le Mans, you've got three drivers. Um, at the other 24-hour races, you're normally allowed four. Um, but with three drivers, it's, you know, you've got to be really, really fit mentally and physically. And, um, you know, you go for about two to three hours at a time, and then you hopefully get a long break because the other drivers go for that long as well. But, but certainly it's a challenge because we race, you know, rain or shine, day or night, you know, none of that changes for sports car racers. I know it does in Indy cars and NASCAR, but for us, we do it no matter what. <laughs> so um, that adds another sort of level to it. But uh, but it is fantastic. I mean, there's nothing nothing better in the racing world for me. And you're not there... doing to clarify. Uh, sorry, Helena. I just wanted to clarify. You're not doing ovals. You're actually doing streetcar. This is yeah, street no, racing. We, we do, yeah, we do road, road circuits. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, we turn both directions. <laughs> 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 That's important when you have to rehome your sports car. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the Le Mans is a team effort. Then you, you said you have three drivers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the sort of the main part of sports car racing actually is that it is an endurance sport, and you do have multiple drivers. That's okay. one of the main parts about it. All right. Let's talk a little bit about eventing, and then I then I want to get into comparing the two. All right. Okay. So, who? What do you have going on right now? I know that you just had a pretty good weekend. Uh, I had recent... a fabulous weekend. Yeah, yeah. tell us about that. I've just flown home from from Portugal, where I've done an event called Barocca Dalva that um, we try and go to each year. It's two weeks long. It's a CIC competition, international, the first weekend, and then CCI the second weekend. Um, this year, I brought um, one of my young horses. His name's Intrepid. And um, he was doing his first international ever. He did his first CCI and CIC One Star. And I also rode a horse belonging to uh, my trainer and New Zealand Olympian, Joe Meyer. And that was my first competition on that horse. So um, thankfully, I um, had a a good start and finished fifth and 11th out of 100 the first weekend. And in the CCI One Star, I managed to finish second and fourth out of 75 people this last weekend. So now you have to tell us. Well, you have to tell us a little bit about that second place win. That was a that was a nail biter, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I'm still I'm still struggling with that one. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I would have won if I'd not had one time fault in the show jumping, which is just you know gutting for a lot Yeah, of you were leading in you you were leading in dressage, then you had a clear cross country, right? And then you had one time fault that put and of course now you were beaten out by somebody who's who's been around the block a few times. Yeah, I mean, Clayton Fredericks and I were on the exact same score, basically from dressage all the way up to the show jumping phase. Um, I only went ahead of him in the tie because I was closer to the optimum time on cross country. 
So, um, and actually, I was in second place going to show jumping. The first place rider had a rail down, and you know, both Clayton and I, both our horses jumped clear. So, if I'd not had the one time fault, I would have won. <laughs> so it was, um, you know, Clayton was really lovely about it, though. And um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't lose to someone better. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Clayton. We get on very well. So. You know, I think, you know, he deserved the win. Obviously, I made the mistake, but it's it's a shame, you know, to, to have lost it that close. You know, it's like it's in your grasp. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is we're we're interviewing Clayton next week for the eventing Are show. You? So so I'm going to be sure to bring this up that I talked to you about this. <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh. You know, he'll tell you up. <laughs> now, uh, do you see the, really great about it. I know this hurts a little, but you see the irony here that the race car driver had a time penalty and... I know, yeah. I know. I know. There is a, yeah, it wasn't there... in dressage. <laughs> no, no. I know, you're right. But, um, you know, my, my only excuse is that the horse is inexperienced and I was uh, trying to give him a nice round and it was maybe a little bit too nice. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually yeah. leads us into a good question is what? who are you riding now? What do you, Who do you have in your stable right now in terms of, of horses? Um, well, my, my horse Donovan, who's intrepid, is is one I'm I'm really excited about for the future. I think he's going to be amazing. I'm hoping he'll one day be an Olympic horse. Um, I think he's proven that he's got that in him this weekend. Um, I've got a new horse who's just named Billy at the moment. He's just a little project of mine that I picked up, and he's doing his first British eventing event in a couple of weeks. Um, and then I've got my two three-star horses, um, who's Oscar and Fox. Well, it's Red, Red Letter Day and Arctic Night. And... Um, they will hopefully be doing stuff a bit later in the year. And I'm, I'm looking for a new horse, actually, as well. So, so what do you ride? Do you ride uh, Wormbloods, Thoroughbreds, a little um, bit of everything? Most of mine are Irish, except for Donovan. He's, he's a um, New Zealand Thoroughbred, but he has a bit of distant Wormblood in him, but he's primarily New Zealand. So uh, most of mine are all, you know, Irish sport horse, you know, description. But, you know, the Irish sport horse name is always a bit vague. You know, yeah, right. Yeah. Actually... Of them. I have a question oh, yeah. about that. I was recently right. told that I was recently told that uh, some of the Irish breads tend to have a temper. How do you feel about that? I wouldn't agree with that. I think the Irish horses are amazing, to be honest. Most of them I've found um, are really, really genuine and, and really lovely in their head. You know, they're really relaxed and they've got a great attitude about everything. Um, I mean, every horse is different, to be honest. You know, I've got one little Irish horse, my Red Letter Day horses wiry and little and thoroughbredy and wild and then i've got you know arctic night who's 17 2 almost and and looks more like a warm blood and they're both irish sport horses so <laughs> you know it all just depends on the horse but i've certainly had wonderful experiences with irish horses for the most part great so what do you have coming up what's uh what's on this for, on the horse front what's up for this year um it's a bit more quiet now really i've got um like i said i've got my first event with billy coming up which will be fun that's just um a lower level but just to sort of start him off um, I'm hoping he's going to be a fun project for the year. Um, the other, well, Donovan's going to have a little break, um, as is Joe's horse that I rode. And I'm actually hoping that I might be able to ride that horse a bit more this year. I'm sort of going to work on that one. That's Bluey? <laughs> one that I was forced on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's a blaze. He's, he's fabulous, and I'm, I really enjoyed riding him. So I'm hoping to sort of work that one a bit. <laughs> okay. And um, my horse, Red Letter Day, Fox, is going to be up and running by May. And um, Oscar, unfortunately, is going to be having most of the year off from a, a kick injury he received in the field, which is very disappointing. Mm. But, um, you know, I'm sure he'll be up and running by the end of the season. So, I mean, like I say, I am looking for a new horse, um, or maybe even two, so I'm hoping to have a bit more in my in my stable. So is there any goal for, uh, for WAG or for uh, the Olympics? Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's a big goal. Um, Olympics is, is my sort of main 
bride's goal at the moment. Um, I was hoping that for Oscar. I still think that's a possibility because he's, he's quite special. And, um, you know, I actually am feeling like I might have a shot at that with Donovan because he's coming on and really growing up now and, and proving that he's got it in all three phases. So I'm hoping that, that that's going to be a, a hopeful thing for him. And um, maybe if I find something else, then hopefully I'll have another one in the string. Do you think that um, your eventing career and your uh, racing career are mutually exclusive? Can you do them both at the same time, or do you have to do one, you know, let one rest while you focus on another, on the other? Oh, I mean, in the past, I have I have done the two together. Sort of a couple of years ago, I had a really crazy season. Um, but you know, I have to say, I do think that that one will suffer from the other if I'm doing too much. I do think that you have to sort of pick a main focus for the year. And, and I've always told myself, oh, I'll do it based on, on what has come through. If I've got an amazing couple of horses, then I'll really focus on that. Or, or if I've got an amazing drive that's come up, then I'll, I'll put my mind to that. Because I really do feel that much as you, I want to do them both, you, you can't do them both successfully to the level you would if you were focusing on one. Right. So, um, you know, I think this year is going to be possibly more of a horse year. I think, you know, I've had some really great results, obviously, at the start of the year. And and I really want to focus on that and sort of become a bit more of a known entity to the American team. That's, that's my hope, is for them to sort of start noticing who I am a bit and, um, you know, have, have a look at me maybe for the future, hopefully. So you, you actually are still, you would still be riding, you're not a, you haven't switched, you're not a British citizen or anything. No, point. I'm not. Okay. No, I'm still okay. American, yeah. So you'd be on the American team uh, for, for the Olympics if... Yeah, at hopefully that point. if I can get there. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, we hope you do, obviously. Now, you had a couple amazing years as a as a driver, you know, in in uh, a couple of years ago, and 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 that was in the American Le Mans series, right? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah. No, What's it? How's you know? There aren't a whole lot of women drivers in that profession. Uh, you know, th- throughout the profession, stock car and otherwise. Uh, you know any of the any of the I don't know if you call them disciplines there, but you know any of the <laughs> there that's a worse person for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so what's it like to be a woman race car driver? It's it, you're you're obviously in the mainstream when it comes to the horse side. Yeah, I mean I think I think you sort of have to earn your respect maybe a bit more than you would if you were just you know another one of the guys you know. But, um, yeah, certainly at a high level of motorsport, we are still a minority. I think there are a lot more women drivers than there used to be. But at the top level, there still seems to be not that many. Um, I've found now, you know, the more I got to know people, and, and if you do the job on the track, I find that everyone respects you as a driver. And I think that's the important thing. And, you know, certainly when I've raced in the American Le Mans series and been the only woman or, or when I've raced at the Le Mans 24 hours and been the only one, I've always sort of tried to just tell myself, you know, I'm one of the drivers. I'm not a woman. And I think that's the important thing for the respect level is you have to get in the car and do the job, and that's all that matters, and everyone will respect you as that, you know, instead of looking at you as, as a woman. Right. Agreed. That's my motto. <laughs> and it's well, getting you very far. <laughs> it's a good motto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, so now we'll ask some of the questions comparing the two. Which do you consider the most dangerous? Horses. Really? Eventing, because... yeah, absolutely. Why is well, that? You don't have a roll cage, number one, <laughs> um, and it's got a brain. <laughs> so I think those are two of the big factors. I mean, I've touched wood. I've, I've had more injuries on horses than I have in a race car, and I've, I've had a few really big crashes. But you do have all that metal and carbon around you, and, you know, you've got the belts and all the gear, and I think it makes a big difference. But, you know, in eventing, it's just you and the horse. So if, if things go really wrong over a really big fence, then, you know, you don't have much out there to protect you. 
We don't. We know what the variables are. We can we can guess what the variables are when you're riding horses. What are they when you're on um, when you're racing cars? Weather. I mean, your car is pretty predictable, like you said. It doesn't have a brain. But what are the variables that you have to deal with when you're racing cars? Um, well, obviously, you know, there's traffic, especially in in sports car racing. That is a major variable because you have a huge difference of speed in the cars that are on track. So you've got to keep that in mind. You're being passed by the faster cars, you're passing the slower cars, and you're racing the cars in your class. So that's that's probably the biggest difference between my type of racing and other racing. Um, You know, obviously there's the mechanical variables of the car, especially in in long races. It's very hard on on the car itself to make it for 24 hours. So you have to sort of keep that in mind in your head, and, and you have to look after it a bit. Um, you know, but those, those are sort of the main variables and obviously just your own driving ability and, and being quick enough without making mistakes. So I think you yourself are a pretty big variable in a race car. So I imagine being in shape from, you do have an advantage for over some of the others because you're in good shape from being an eventer. That probably helps you a lot being a driver. Yeah, it does help a lot, definitely. I mean, it's both of them are sort of all over physical sports. You need to use all of your body physically in both sports. So that side of it is really good. Um, I do train separately for the racing as well. Um, if I'm doing a long race, I have to sort of commit myself to the endurance factor a bit more. Um, and I also have to, you know, really focus on my upper body strength and, and my neck strength because the G-forces are very high in a fast car. And that's mm. certainly for a woman. You have to you have to face the reality that we aren't built the same. So we have to put a bit more time into neck strength and, you know, just all those little variables you wouldn't think of normally. And what do you do mentally to prepare? Is the sports psychology for riding versus racing different? Or do you sort of have to embrace similar um, sports strategies? Um, I think it's fairly similar in some ways. Um, you know, I do see somebody that helps me with that a lot, and he's he's been wonderful. Um, and certainly when my season's up and running, I, I see him a bit more regularly. And I find it really helps me stay focused and sort of just, just keep my head in the right in the right frame of mind. Um, but I do, based on whatever competition I've coming up, I do focus more specifically on each sport because, you know, there's enough differences and enough things in my own head that I worry about that are different that I need to, you know, sort of get myself into the frame of mind for each sport. I think that's the important thing is I have to, when I'm racing, I have to be racing and block the rest out. When I'm riding, I have to be riding. Right. Or it right. just becomes a bit too much of a, a mesh. <laughs> and when you find yourself with a particular challenge, um, do you think it's easier to overcome that challenge as a rider or as a driver? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> it really depends. They're, they're quite different, I suppose. But I think both, both sports, to, to be successful at a very high level, is, is equally difficult. So I think that, um, you know, you have to work hard to be the best, best at either one in an equal manner, if that makes sense. I know some people said, oh, surely it's easier to get to the top of racing or get to the top of riding, but I think both are, are difficult if you want to be the best. Right. Um, well, it's like anything yeah. else, I guess. If you want to be the best, it's going to be hard no matter what you're doing. Right, exactly. and so you're setting your own obstacles. I yeah, have a exactly. question. I have a question about going a little different direction. Sponsorship. You know, you need a lot of money to race a car, and you need a lot of money to be at the high level of eventing. It, have, has one been more difficult to attain than the other? Well, you have to fight two battles. I mean, that's <laughs> a tough one. <laughs> I mean, certainly the the motorsport is is a higher amount of money. That you right. Need, to be honest, and that I think that's actually more difficult to find sponsors in. I've, I've I've been lucky to have had a couple really good sponsors in the past, but 
it is very difficult, and people think it's easy as a woman if you're a racing driver to get sponsorship, but it isn't really. It's just as hard. It's just as big amount of money, and especially in today's economic times, it's it's very difficult. Um, you know, in the horse world, there's a lot of product sponsor, and I think that's really helpful. Makes a really big difference. And I'm you know I'm very lucky to have you know a new sponsor in Equan Superstore, and I've got New Perfide who's helped me out. Who's just come over to the U- U.S. I believe. Yep, and yep. I mean, I'm very lucky to have that help and that support, and I'm finding that easier to find, you know, little sponsors like that who can help you along the way instead of looking for the really big money sponsor. Right. Yeah, and I imagine that with the car companies having to, the Fords of the world and, you know, the Fords and the Chevys and and all of them having tr- financial trouble right now, that's yeah. got to hurt racing a little bit. It has. I mean, the racing community has really changed a lot, and I know the numbers are down in a lot of the races, and Certainly, you know, races like the Le Mans 24 Hours, a lot of the teams have pulled out. They just can't afford it. And, and it's very hard to find sponsorship because companies are, you know, reining everything in a bit. They don't they don't want to, you know, splurge their money on motorsport and, you know, fun things like that. It's, it's, it's a difficult time, I think, for anybody in racing and for the teams. Wow. I have another strategy question because I, I'm fascinated by the racing and, <laughs> and riding thing. <laughs> Do you think that there's something about your career as a race car driver that gives you um, either a benefit or a disadvantage in your eventing career? It's obviously it makes you unique, but does that uniqueness um, translate into something in your in your eventing career? Um, well, I mean, certainly it helps profile-wise. That side right. of it has been helpful. Um, I do think that you know the the intensity of racing and and how fast your reaction speeds have to be and sort of what you have to put your yourself mentally and physically through has helped me in eventing. I do believe that. Um, I think also actually the eventing has helped my racing career in that I'm you know, I'm pretty good at setting up a car and feeling what the car is doing, and I think that's the years <laughs> of being in a saddle, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah right. <laughs> but certainly I think, I think the two are such intense sports that, like I say, you have to be so fast in your reaction speeds and, and make quick decisions, and I think that side of the racing has probably helped my eventing, and and made me maybe a better rider because I'm used to things happening so fast that I can slow it down a bit for riding, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. But things don't happen quite as fast for that, so that I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it's, it's helped me to be mentally a bit quicker. And then the horse says, no, no thanks, and, and that changes yeah, exactly. anyway. Yeah, <laughs> another factor, and it throws it all in the bin. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's good to know that folks at the upper levels have their servings of humble pie as well. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know those broken bones she was talking about? That's part of the humble pie right there. This is the only yeah. reason I do these interviews. It's just so I can hear upper-level riders say that they've, you know, they've had <laughs> That they're humble, too. It makes you feel better about yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We've all been there. <laughs> Liz, it's been great having you on. It's it's so nice to talk to you. And uh, I wanted to mention everybody that they can find you and, and all about what you're up to at Liz Halliday. Dot com. Yep, and is there it. anything else you need to plug or want to mention here? Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, just, just a thanks thanks to my sponsors, Nipafeed, Equine Superstore, Quantum Saddles. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have people helping us all out. Um, it makes makes all the difference for everybody. And, um, you know, Performance Drink as well, they've been great. So um, mainly just thanks for having me on. It's been really fun, and um, hopefully we can do this again. Well, can we have you on again after you have been accepted to the Olympic team? Oh, absolutely. Hopefully that'll be soon. <laughs> well, we'll be rooting for you. Then. All right, we'll have you on before that, too, okay? Great, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, thanks a lot, Liz. Take care. Bye. Okay, I consider me officially inspired. A little intimidated because there's no way I could 
drive a car that fast around a track. I've seen you I'd drive, rather... Helena. You get close to it. <laughs> <laughs> you live in Boston. You almost have to drive 200 miles an hour. It's true. I do have a thing for speed, I have to say. But um, my goodness, and what, a, what an accomplished woman. That was a really great interview. Yeah, and it looks like she's actually going places and doing very well with the horse side. So, yeah. you know, that's going to be fun to watch her, too. She, you know, she probably is bound for the Olympics and maybe even in 2012. Yeah, let's keep our, our eyes open for her. And we could say, I heard about Liz. That's right. We talked to her. (laughs) All right. Speaking of shows, we have two other shows on the network. One is the Eventing Radio Show. And this past episode, we did what was called the Grooms Quiz, our first uh, Eventing Grooms Quiz. We had three of the grooms from three of the most uh, well-known eventers in the United States. Uh, Karen O'Connor, Heidi White, and Philip Dutton's grooms were on. And we did a quiz show with them sort of like a Jeopardy, and we asked all Rolex-related questions, and it was a blast. They had fun. We had fun. It was just a riot, and I I encourage everybody to listen. It was just a very fun episode. And then also, released today, same day as this show is going out, we have a special episode. We, We got to spend almost an hour speaking with a legend of eventing and the FEI's rider of the 20th century, Mark Todd. Yeah, if you've heard anything about about eventing, you know the name Mark Todd. And, you know, to be named FEI's writer of the 20th century is amazing. Yeah, that's not just the year. Well, we got him to get out a glass of wine, sit down, and he actually spoke with us for almost 50 minutes. because <laughs> yeah, so, he had a glass of wine. Yes, exactly right. So we got him to settle down. Apparently, that's almost impossible to do with Mark. And he, he retired in the year 2000 from eventing and now has come back. So he's looking forward to coming to Rolex and also to 2010, so, the WEG Games. So we're, we were excited to talk to him. And we, it was supposed to be part of this week's episode, but he went so long, I did, we thought it would be a sin to take any part of it out. So we just put out a special episode with Mark in it, and I think you'll want to listen to that. And also the 2010 radio show, we have the latest news from the 2010 games this week. And, uh, you know, we also speak with my co-host Chris uh, for the eventing radio show. She joined us on the 2010 show. She has been to all the WEG games that there have been. And she tells us some of her memories from all the different WEGs through the years. So you get to get a little bit of the history of the World Equestrian Games through the years on that show this week. And and what do we have next week on our show, Helena? Everybody should be sure to listen next week because we're going to bring you a look at the newest products from tack shops all over the country for the spring of 2009. We've got some cool stuff coming up there. All right. Well, that you'll be in heaven for that episode, just talking about tack and clothing and all the new stuff out. <laughs> yeah, just an, it's an excuse to spend money I don't have on things I don't need. Need, right, exactly. I think that's what happened to you at Christmas, actually, when we did those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You can, uh, again, find our show, show notes for today's episode with all the links to, to, to all the fabulous people we spoke with. And we wanted to thank all our guests for taking time out of their day to join us. Uh, you can find all of that at stablescoop.com. And we also wanted to thank our sponsor this week for for being part of the show, the Atlantic Horse Carriers. You can find them at AtlanticHorseCarriers.com. All right, Helena, we'll see you again next week as we talk tack and clothing. And we will be here with the scoop. You can be sure of that. (laughs) Get your checkbook out.